Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this live recording again. Uh, if you've got questions or you want to make any comments whilst you're on YouTube or on Periscope, please do that and uh, we'll try and get some of those to our guest today. If you're listening or watching after the live recording, you can always leave a comment on YouTube or Twitter or leave a review on your podcast app. Yeah, this is the live recording of the podcast, uh, so you can still catch the podcast when it goes out over on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, you can download it from there, so get on there, subscribe. Uh, there's over 150 episodes on there for you to enjoy, featuring um, Ailey McKay, who we've had on recently, uh, Lord Jim Knight, David Price, OBE, uh, so yeah, some really fun conversations on there, so go and have a listen and subscribe. Yeah, we've, uh, also, we've, it's no longer brand new news, but we've got exciting news around our annual awards event too. So don't forget, we're in partnership with Net Support and C Learning. We're hosting our awards uh, virtually on the 10th of July. More details are coming soon, but you can get your nominations in for our 13 award categories. Uh, we're coming back bigger and better than ever. So our guest today, just underneath me here, depending on where you see it on the screen, is Rochelle Denipoth. <laughs> she is an EdTech consultant, presenter, author, attorney, which I think will be quite interesting to have a conversation about, uh, a blogger and a teacher. She currently teaches Spanish and a course on emerging tech that covers AR and VR, artificial intelligence, coding, gaming, digital citizenship, video animation, and much more. She's also the president of the ISTE Teacher Education Network and serves the leadership team for the ISTE Mobile Learning Network. At ISTE 19, she received the Making It Happen Award and present, uh, Presidential Google uh, Gold Award God, for uh, volunteering services to education. She's a, uh, a Bunsi uh, Ambassador, a Modo Certified Trainer, a Napod Pioneer, a Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert and a Google Certified Educator. Yeah, Rochelle is the author of, in other words, quotes that push our thinking. Uh, the future is now looking back to move ahead and unconventional ways to thrive in edu and chart a new course, a guide to teaching essential skills for tomorrow's world. She's a contributing author to several books, including Education Right Now, Volume 3, several volumes of the EduMatch snapshot in education. Rochelle is a regular blogger for Getting Smart, Define Learning, District Administration, Neo L LMS, and STEM Org. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for this introduction. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Steve writes the introduction, I always seem to get like all the acronyms in one paragraph. I do it every time because you used to ridicule me, so it's, it's just about time. It makes me feel better about myself. Oh, that's funny. Thank you for thank all of you for that. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think my favorite part was when Ben pointed down, and I was like looking up. Like, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Thanks for having me on today. Glad to be here. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, I uh, we've been doing this with all our guests. We've been looking at in terms of lockdown. Um, and, and what does that situation look like? How things change and everything else? So introduce yourself. I know that uh, you're coming from Pittsburgh. Is that right? Right. Uh, so what does that look like? I know uh, a little bit five hours behind us, but what's what does lockdown look for you? 
Yeah, it's been a really interesting couple of months. Hard to believe how much time has passed, especially thinking like this time of the school year, I'm always in a rush to get things done and to make sure I cover everything, but it's just been so different. And when our school officially closed, we had two weeks where uh, my students, our students had access to packets or information, you know, through technology. Thankfully, we have that capability now, but to kind of work on until we officially started with remote learning that started on March 30th. And so since that time, I've been doing uh, some different class meetings and having online office hours for my students, but I teach Spanish levels one through four. And then of course the eighth grade, the emerging technology course. And I, you know, the meetings are not mandatory, but I really wasn't sure when I started because all of the technology that I've used in the meetings, like we've all been in meetings and webinars and everything, but I've never taught a course, let alone a high school course all online. I've taken classes, but the hardest thing for me, and I think probably for a lot of teachers was making that transition and trying to like wrap my head around, what do I need to take from what I'm doing in my physical classroom space to put into this virtual space? And I mean, it's, it's constantly a work in progress. And so it has changed so much from the initial March 30th date until now, and it will continue to evolve. And so I think it's it's definitely been a challenging time, uh, a growing process for everybody. And it, it's a lot, there's a lot to think about moving forward, especially if this is something that we're going to have to consider on an ongoing basis over the next school year or even beyond that time. So a lot of changes definitely coming to the world and to the world of education. Yeah, I think that shows, what you're saying there shows really strong leadership though, doesn't it? Like the the willingness to to start off on on a plan and then and then tweak it as you go along. I think that's something in, in my own school that that we've had to do, and we've had to really take the teachers along with that because we, we very quickly. I think we had in the UK. I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but in the UK we had probably about a week's notice, and even then it was still up in the air whether schools would shut. Uh, so, but we just kind of acted on the 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 fact that it probably was going to happen. So we had a week to get everyone ready. We put a strategy in place. We um, upskilled our teachers in that week, or we tried to anyway. And within a week, we tweaked, We were tweaking it. The second week, we were tweaking it. And, it, and we, had, we had to say to the staff, this is a good thing. This doesn't mean we're getting it wrong. This doesn't mean that um, what, what we've done so far hasn't worked. But we, we need to keep doing that better. So I, I really resonate with what you said there. Yeah. And the one thing that you said, too, about, uh, you know, doing something wrong, I think that's an important thing to be mindful of is like we've never had this experience before. And it's easy to feel like, oh, I, I didn't do that the right way or I could have done it so much better. But as educators, I mean, that's what we do. We learn as we go. And when we know better, we do better. And when we don't have any experience and nothing could have prepared us for that, no matter how much technology you've had that you've been using in your classroom, we all are learning as we go. And the best thing that we can do is to make sure that we connect and reach out and offer support, but share our stories and our experiences and then take the time we need to kind of look back. And I mean, I've been changing my plan day by day sometimes. I think I have a plan set up and I'm like, no, because I check in with students and I realize you know, there are other things happening. It's not just about school and learning right now. Like there are real needs that students and families have. and it doesn't matter what I want to teach in terms of content. I mean, clearly I want them to learn Spanish, but I can go back and I can make up for that. What I can't make up for is the opportunities where I've missed to support a student or their family where they've needed it the most. Like you can't 
I mean, that's something that you can't go back and like, oh, let me do that over. Um, like we need to be you know, mindful of that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what, what we're talking about is that level of agility, isn't it? That ability to not be fixed. And uh, we, we, all three of us yesterday were listening to uh, Matthew Saeed, um, great, great British author who's written, you, you might have heard some of his books, Black Box Thinking and Rebel Ideas. And he talks obviously about um, cognitive diversity, but he talks about this idea to be able to learn from failure um, and not necessarily, or sometimes he talks about drastic failure, like aviation failure, but also he talks about how that getting things wrong and learning from it actually is, is a really good human process. And, uh, and, and often I I remember a story of um, a a young lad who I used to teach. So uh, he had been the top of his class forever. He'd, 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 he'd been really successful at lots of things. And then he got rejected from Cambridge University. Um, he, was, he was just kind of expected. He was just going to, that's what he was going to do. And he got rejected from Cambridge University. And it absolutely devastated him because it had been the first time that he'd experienced failure, really. He'd, he'd smashed all his GCSEs. Uh, he'd smashed, he'd done really, really well in lots of cognitive ability tests and then, and then, and then failed his interview at, at Cambridge. Um, and, that learning curve for him was was a really steep one, but it it had to be failure that led to that. And he, eventually, he's gone to a great red brick university in the U, in the UK, studying maths, and he's doing really well. But it was that it was the failure. And I think what you were talking about there around um, leadership being having to be agile and teachers having to be agile and 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 responding to change is is super important. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally agree that in failure, it, it's hard, right? Because like you try and you do something, then you fail and it, it, it can be a terrible feeling because you're like, you put all that into it, but it's hard for me to even say sometimes like, oh, well, it's okay. Cause they're still learning in that. I mean, as a teacher, of course, we need to say that, but it's, we need to believe it too. Like there, that's how we learn and it's how we improve. And, and that's what our goal should be is to always keep trying to improve ourselves. Even if it's like, this, the tiniest bit of improvement, uh, Daniel Pink had written in his book, you know, was I a little bit better today than I was yesterday? And that's what our goal needs to be and our mindset needs to be as, as educators and just as people. Yeah, and, and I think um, in terms of the learnings, so I know that you've been quite active, uh, Rochelle, on, on social media and talking about how to deliver online learning, what your plan looks like, and so other people can learn from some of your failures and some of the things that are going well. Um, I'm interested to find out in terms of Arizona State and and um, an open university in 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 the UK and places like that, they must be inundated with people asking questions. And if they're not, surely they are the best places to go. Those places that are getting it right, delivering online for a majority of their learning, they must be very busy in terms of the chancellors and the people running. But are they? Are, are people reaching out, or are they just trying to deliver learning? the same way online as we always have done in a fixed environment in terms of a school setting rather than actually learning for those who permanent deliver online. Um, I don't know whether there's, there's any learnings that you've taken from any online or any schools or colleges or universities that deliver in out there in, in the U S. I mean, I had, uh, I, t- I had taken a lot of classes online and, and just was trying to wrap my head around like, okay, what happened when I was a student? what can I do now with, with my own students? And I really was trying to cram what I would do in 42 minutes in my classroom into this online space and planning lessons. And I know for the first couple of weeks, trying to think about, okay, what would I normally do? And then write the lessons. It was taking me, I think the first two or three weeks of, of writing lesson plans for my five courses, it was taking anywhere from six to eight hours just to th- think through what I wanted to do. But the difference is 
like for my students in a 42 minute period, if I have 20 students in class, I, I can move around, I can interact with each one of them. I have a really good understanding of where they are in terms of learning in that day. We do a lot of different activities and then they leave and I see them the next day. Now, trying to take all of that and put it into this space now where we're learning, I was finding that it would take me like three or four hours to go through because now they're completing an activity. They're sending me a picture of what they completed. I'm giving, you know, finding a way to give them feedback. But the other component is, is that not all students had their books at home or access to Wi-Fi or devices for that matter. And so all of these other unknowns kind of added to that. And uh, yeah, I was, I was really trying to just replicate what I had been doing, but put that into the space because that's what we've all been doing, right? We've been the whole year up until now, our class, our procedures, everything that we do is still being flexible and trying new ideas. But that that quick shift, I know for some schools and some of my friends, they went to school on a Friday and found out like right at the end of the school day, okay, we're done for at least two weeks. And then that was the last time they were in school. And so that's a, a huge <laughs> transition to make, especially if you don't have everything prepared. So it's been interesting to see I mean, there are so many resources that have been shared out there, which is wonderful. I mean, educators offering webinars and schools and, and open resources and textbook companies, you name it, offering everything that they have. But when it comes down to it, that can still be overwhelming. And so mm -hmm. you kind of have to find like, what will do the most for my students that won't overwhelm them or their families or, I mean, or us in that process either. And so focusing on, you know, one or two tools or trying something different, like this is a chance to take some risks too that maybe you've been thinking about and haven't done. So uh, it, it's interesting to see as it evolves, but yet what the plans will become for the upcoming school year once this one has ended. Yeah, my um, I've got two girls at home, as many of the listeners will already know, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and they are um, their teachers are, set, are setting work on uh, on seesaw and sending work across to them, and, and they're uh, they do they they're managing to do bits of it. They're not doing all of it, but we got a phone call. I mentioned this on the podcast a, a while a few weeks ago. We got a phone call from one of their teachers, um, and just wanted just to check in and see where things were. And one of the things that she said to Neve, my eldest, was. We're not bothered about whether you've done the seesaw work. We're just bothered about whether you're okay. Uh, and if there's anything that you need and, and, and what, what, what have you been doing that's been good, tell us about great. So that, that 10 minute conversation with Neve's teacher was so like, it was, it was really refreshing because I know that what it's been like as a, as a teacher and, and sometimes the pressure that's on from administrators or leaders that we've got to get through content and how, how much engagement has there been? How many people have been in that lesson today? Have they all turned up? Uh, and, and you think, is is that what really matters? Um, and in the, in this time, especially for young children, that's that that that's really that's really important. So um, I think I think that's cool. I wondered if have you got any any things that you that you felt have, have worked for you um, in lockdown in terms of engaging with your students? Yeah, and I I'm glad that you shared that story because yesterday we had a panel discussion of different educators in different roles talking about you know what has worked what lessons have we learned and takeaways and you know several had said like and i agree i mean it's it's important to have those check-ins and relationships and the content is important but it can wait because right now the students and families and i mean we're all dealing with so much that 
you've probably all heard it too. I mean, we've shifted from saying remote teaching, a lot are referring to it as crisis teaching right now. So how much is being retained? Um, what is the most important? But having those check-ins to know, and I tell my students this too, and say like, look, I need, I want to know that you're okay. And so I've used some different things to check in with them. Like the two, two meetings that we have for each class during the week, I've been using Zoom. And I have some students who have not missed a single meeting and each one they join in. I have some type of an activity. Sometimes it's a quick game. Sometimes it's a check-in, whether it's a Google form, a quizzes where I can ask them questions. We have a Remind that we use as an app, you know, email of course, that they can check in with me. And I even, if you've ever seen the tool called Buncee, I, I'm not the hugest fan of putting videos out there of myself and, and recording greetings, but I created a, a check-in on Buncee where I was just talking and they could listen to, and I was just asking, you know, how are you? Let me know if there's anything I can do to help you because that's really important. I mean, students and their families need to know that we really do care about them. So, uh, and that's something that I have seen uh, be a lot more of a focus lately, even in a lot of the blogs and things that are being put out, put out there about social emotional learning and mental health and wellness and trauma-informed teaching. All of those practices are really important too. Yeah, and and I, and I think that brings on. I know that obviously you're you're an educator, but you're also an author. Um, I don't know how you find time, but I know some of the uh, some of the topics in, in in some of your some of your books that you've written. So like the future is now uh, and unconventional stuff. Do you want to walk us through that? And actually, does that relate to the times that we're in, or actually is it further afield? What walk us through what that looks like, and also the the how are you fitting time? Are you still writing during <laughs> lockdown? Yes, I, I I love to write and enjoy writing blogs or emails. It doesn't matter. But there are some hacks to it. People always say, do you sleep? I do sleep. But I, I use the power of technology, specifically the, the voice to text. And so often, I mean, self-care is important. So I will go for a walk and I will open up a document or an email and I will just think about the day or think about an idea and let it record into a document. And then when I come back, Next thing you know, you have 2,000 words and put that into a blog. And then, of course, check for the spelling because as good as it is, there are often words you're like, what did I say that sounded like hamburger or something? And it's you have to go through and think, oh, okay, I know. But um, I do enjoy writing. And so the books, especially now, like the unconventional book that I wrote that came out in December is Unconventional Ways to Thrive in EDU. And that book has... The thing about it is you don't have to read from cover to cover. There are a lot of things that I've done in my classroom over the past probably four or five years, taken some risks, got away from, I had been teaching the way I had been taught, which not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was I was doing what was, was working for me as a student. And what I was finding is it wasn't working for my own students. So I had to change. And so a lot of the ideas in that book came from me basically going into class some days and thinking, hmm, let me try this, and then it working really well or it being a complete epic failure and my students going, yeah, I'm not sure what you were trying to do with that one, and then revising it and making a better plan moving forward. But this time where we have an opportunity like now where we don't have, I don't know, I mean, open open opportunities to try new things that you've maybe been hesitating to do, for example, like project-based learning, augmented virtual reality, uh, genius hour, choice boards, a lot of these choices that students can have where it gives them an opportunity to decide what to focus on, how to show their learning. And I think it, it helps teachers too, because you don't have to focus on having so much of a plan, like a rigid plan. 
giving students a chance to explore something. I mean, my eighth grade students now are doing Genius Hour, and I've been amazed at just the topics that they're coming up with. And, and it's it's really interesting because I think back to when I was their age, the technology that we had and how many changes we've seen in the world. But as far as education, the book that I wrote, The Future Is Now, we've been talking about future skills, essential skills for the future, future ready, but all of those skills are things that our students clearly need now. I, I don't think, obviously, nobody expected us to be all online, everything happening all through, you know, remote work, remote teaching, remote learning, but these are skills that our students need now so that they can continue to build them so that whatever they encounter in the future, they're flexible enough like we have been and will continue to be in whatever they're doing at that time. And so the ideas in that book too stem from making sure that you you take yourself away from isolation, that you find support and have a network that you can share ideas with, that you can get feedback from, even pushback, and then how to help others to kind of you know step up and take some chances and lead, which is what we need our students to do as well, besides consuming, but to become the creators and the leaders in our classrooms. Just just on that, it's really interesting that you were talking about from a, from an unconventional point of view. Um, I read a, a book a few years ago by uh, an author called Paul Dix, and he said this, uh, when the adults change, everything changes, um, and that uh, idea about consistency. And I think one of the things for me that you talked about where you said um, teaching the way that we have always taught and or we were taught, I think there is something there around that 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 feeling of comfort and living in that level of comfort, isn't there? Uh, and that unconventional level. <laughs> I don't know. Steve, Steve's laughing because I know that he, when he talks about his teaching experience, it's the same. It's the same. We, we we go back into our own comfort, don't we? We go back into what we what we know works for us. Uh, so when to, to being un, unconventional and thinking around, well. How does it? What does it feel like to come out of your comfort zone? What does it feel like to 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 do something different in your in your teaching practice? And um, and yeah, I, I love that. That actually, we 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 are committed as as um, as educators that we we should continue to be learning and continue to be growing because we expect our learners to do it, don't we? We expect our learners right. to have this growth mindset, but actually, it, it's it's in what we do as well. Yeah, totally, <laughs> and. and I try to make sure that whatever I'm asking them to do, that I do as well. I, I unmuted yeah. myself. I muted myself, but yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, I think it was it was in that you know when you Ben you talked about the Matthew Syed uh, live webcast that he did last night, um, and he, I think he was talking about as well like we we learn when we're uncomfortable, don't we? You, you have to be pushed into into being uncomfortable in order to learn. And, and how they how elite sports people that's how they get better when they when they they're challenged by somebody who's got that edge on them so they have to push themselves forward and i and i don't know about you but it's just i in my school and a lot of teachers i know around um, around, around the uk there's there's so many teachers who've who were thrown in that in that first week of lockdown into the uncomfortable and and i know uh, people like myself ben steve uh, and lots of and lots of other people we've spent years trying to trying to teach teachers in using new technologies um in order to to help students learn and help them be prepared for for the future uh and and with varying success um you know you always have you always have the the level of people teachers who who it's hard to get them on board but in that first week when when the whole of a 
of the teaching faculty in a school is 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 underwater and is in that uncomfortable zone it's just been remarkable to see how many teachers have have risen to the challenge and actually um and I, and, I, and i'm just i'm i'm pausing because i'm thinking of one teacher in particular from from my place who who emailed me about a week after and and um it was quite emotional actually but she she said something about how um she'd been resisting technology for for a couple of years now and and she'd just done a live lesson uh, over google meet and and she was she was so proud and shocked that she'd been able to do it and it had been a success uh and i just i think there's something about the education sector at the moment around the world that is is fundamentally changed now that that we've we've been in that uncomfortable zone like many other sectors at the moment especially the the healthcare sector but there's there's all those with that when we get back to to the new normal whatever that might be i think where the mindset of of teachers around the world is is going to be incredible to see really and what what comes next excites me i don't know about you rochelle yeah i i agree and i i was worried about i mean a lot of teachers like you say don't necessarily have that technology experience and to go like how especially elementary teachers i know are, are not all using technology and you had mentioned you know seesaw is one that i know is used by a lot but trying to think about all of the things that they do. And for me, as a teacher who teaches primarily eight through, yeah, eighth through 12th grade, I have taught seventh grade, but in my school, it's grade seven through 12. I don't necessarily know all of the different activities that elementary teachers do. And so offering some different webinars for teachers locally in my school district and finding out what they were missing. I mean, the power of voice, for example, being able to read to their students, hear their students' voices, check in. And for me, one of my favorite things to do at the start of every class is to play random music when they come in, greet them at the door if I can get there. Usually I'm stopped on the way because students are coming in or whatever, but those interactions are so important. And when we don't have that opportunity to even just check in briefly, uh, it makes a huge difference. And I know that was a, a big concern with a lot of the elementary teachers was how can I do all of these same things? And the technology, there are so many, we all know, options out there, but finding something like Seesaw, for example, that you mentioned where you have so many components in it and you can bring parents in, it makes it easier to have that one system that everybody can be comfortable with. And it's gonna vary for everybody because some schools, might already be using Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom. And then you have schools that teachers are basically using whatever they want if they're using something. And so when all of this happened, finding at least one tool that could enable you to do the majority, if not all of the things that you wanted to do and you were missing out on, is where I recommended that people start. And hearing those stories and seeing examples of, for, for example, Buncee is what some of the teachers used that I was sharing with them and seeing their joy at being able to read a story or to do a welcome message and check in and what they were creating as they were sending it to me, it was awesome to see and very rewarding too. Just to see that that feeling of being overwhelmed and frustrated, which we're all still feeling, right? On At any given point during the day, it hits us because there's something that we're missing, but seeing that replace and what they created, was it was really great. So sorry to break off uh, Dan's talking. We are going to put the infographic up. I know this is strange for somebody in the US, but we're going to clap for the NHS and we'll be back in two minutes. Well, we can start having a chat whilst uh, whilst we wait for the other two to come back in. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. Wait, let me just look up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's 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 really important, I suppose. That um, there was um, and we'll put this uh, link in the in the in the notes in a moment. Uh, the uh, David Price, who was on our our um, podcast a few a few weeks ago, a good friend of what we do. Um, he's been working with some other educators from around the world, and they've put together this lovely little montage of a song in tribute to sing to the NHS to thank you, thank them for all the work that they're doing and the carers around the world. Uh, it's not just our NHS, it's suppose it's just that celebration. I think you mentioned um, earlier about supporting students um, and, and, and families and even teachers. Uh, and Dan mentioned that about that, that teacher feeling that they've achieved something. There's a, it's, it's a, it, this is a, this is a very, very strange world. So where we can celebrate, it, it's really nice actually sometimes, sometimes feels a little bit false, like, oh, every Thursday at eight o'clock, we go out and clap. But when everybody else out on the streets doing it, and there's that level of camaraderie and, and actually we're in this together, it feels a, it feels like a, a lovely thing. And I think that's, I think that's what started to happen with schools and colleges as well. That, that sense of togetherness and being really proud. Uh, I won't lag on for too much, but one of the things that um, we've just started doing as a college is uh, this thing, hashtag good gossip. Um, so we've got these like um, anonymous cards that go around that are electronic that you can fill in and people fill them in for each other, goes to a central account and then they get posted out to people. Um, and it's just a recognition really that people are noticing each other and uh, saying saying thank you for the things that you've done, the difference that you're making. Um and uh, it's it's amazing the feeling that you get when I've had I've had a couple. It's amazing the feeling you get when when one of your own colleagues or a student recognises and says we're really grateful for what you've done, uh, and this is the difference it's making. So 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 I suppose long may that continue. So when it comes to uh, I know we talked about the books there, and we, just before we went on, we were talking about the books, and we were talking uh, about about some other things there as well. But um, you you talk about we're obviously edgy futurists. Um, and we are uh, we're trying to start a movement around the future of education and what that might look like, whilst also knowing that predicting the future is the worst thing that you can do because because we're almost always wrong. Uh, and we're not trying to predict something, but I suppose we're trying to prepare students for that uh, and teachers uh, actually prepare teachers to prepare students as well. So in 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 that book, I suppose the the future the future is now is that is that essentially about um what the future of education is looking like or is it is it about more a way of thinking or and if, if you've already said that i apologize and i've missed it but is it more about that uh all of the above <laughs> uh, okay no it's it is it, it's both actually because it talks about just kind of like building our own strength and, and our skills as people uh, as, as as educators and then working together with others to help to lift our students and our colleagues up and the power that we have when we work together uh, with that support. But then there is towards the end of it, the part that does focus on the future. What does that look for it like for education? What are the trends that we're going to see? Which of course, as you mentioned earlier, augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence, a lot of the topics I talk about my eighth grade STEAM course, but even now looking at education, um, a couple of weeks ago, my students in my Spanish four course, who two of them are graduating high school now and the rest of them are well, juniors now going to be seniors, looking at how much work they had in this whole process that they've been in learning online, 
with advanced courses that they take. And I've been trying, you know, celebrate the things, right? Take it as an opportunity. What are the positives that we can find? And I said, you are going to be so much better prepared for moving to the next say, the next phase of your life, whether that's going to college in the fall, whether that's getting a job or whatever. I said, because look at the, the rest of the world. We have so many people who are working remotely from home, taking classes online and doing all the things that traditionally, I mean, in the past couple of years, most did not really experience fully until getting a job or to going to college and taking their first course online or partially like a hybrid course online. And so we're all kind of building these skills together. And so towards the end of the book, I do talk about those those things in the future and have fun with my students and say, well, you never know. You might be actually working alongside a chatbot. You, you don't know. Your, your colleague might be a robot. Uh, it happens. I mean, it's happening now out there in the world. So it does give some things to think about in the future in terms of education. And I know I've been on a couple of different panel discussions and written some things about artificial intelligence and in education and what does that mean for teachers and, and even just in the world? I mean, is AI going to replace all of these jobs and educators? And of course, to an extent, AI will replace some jobs and some functions that teachers do. And hopefully it doesn't fully replace teachers because that'd be really sad because I kind of really like my job but helping us to free up some time, for example, so we can spend more time with our students and building relationships. So the book, like I said, it does kind of both of those things that you asked me, but uh, gives ideas of things that we can work on now that will help us to be better in the future too. Yeah, I like I like that idea of, and I think we, we take that on board as well, the whole futurism in terms of education is not just let's see what's going to happen and let's try and adapt to it. But actually, let's see what's going to happen and let's make education better so that our students can thrive in their future world as well. Um, I like that. It, in, in, in a nice little link there, the the the, the whole idea of thriving. Uh, your your podcast, um, Thrive in Edu, or EDU, um, you, could you just talk to us a bit about that and how it started and, um, and kind of what you discuss on the podcast? Well, it's kind of funny because it's it's me talking to myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I, I joke about that when I do the episodes, but I had I have been on podcasts for a couple of years and I had thought about starting a podcast and I actually had my students using some different tools for podcasting and for video responses. And it was just kind of something that was out there for a while. And then back in early September of last year, I decided to just all right, let's try this. And so on a Monday, I recorded an episode. I think the first one that I did, ironically, was about self-care and making time. And uh, some of the things that I really need to work on, definitely like disconnecting and balance and all of that. But I just started on that Monday and I kept every single week recording an episode. And it's not like I know ahead of time what my topic will be about. I might take a walk and listen to a podcast while I'm walking or read an article or have a conversation with somebody and it gets me to thinking. Or it might be after school where I've done something different in my classroom and I, I kind of think through it and reflect. And so I'll just sit down and record and it's one take and that's pretty much it. And I always apologize at the end saying, you never know, I'm not sure what the next episode is about, but. I just joked in one of my re with myself. I'm telling myself jokes and laughing at my own jokes too. So I, I keep asking people if you want to be on my podcast, be my first guest, please let me know. But I always say you never know what the next episode will be about. But um, 
I, I call it season one. And I think I, I just recorded episode 43 and I'm, I'm not real sure when I shift to season two, like, do I wait for a full year or is it seasonal? I'm, I, I'm not sure about that yet, but it's just, it's on any topic. So I've covered things such as self-care, project-based learning, AR, VR, artificial intelligence, becoming a connected educator, and then most recently, a lot about this remote teaching, remote learning, and uh, all of the things that we've been talking about over the past couple of months. That sounds good. So can if our listeners wanna have a listen to that, is that on all podcast providers? It is, yes. Brilliant, so yeah, check that out. Um, yeah, uh, Steve, I know you want to come in with, with ISTE at some point. Um, yeah. You said it right. You said it right. You said, you said, you didn't say it. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, so, that was I remember that. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we need to give some context. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> so, so a few we went months ago. the process where we, we had, yeah, we, we had uh, um, a few people on. Um, I think it was Jake Miller and Matt Miller and, and some other people talking about ISTE uh, and um, or ISTE. That's what we should be talking about. But uh, Dan, um, for a couple of episodes, decided it was ITSE, um, and we had a bit of a laugh about that, Rochelle. So that's uh, that's where that comes in. It's, um, it's not as funny as when we've obviously when got bet, and we think how was this? It in, it in. It's definitely not funny for you, Dan. It's uh, it's more embarrassing. But let's uh, let's not go there. <laughs> but it's. Uh, in terms of ISTE, and I know that your role um, in terms of the leadership part and, and, and looking at that element, what does that look like in terms of the big organisation? Because I know it's a massive event um, for, 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 the, for America and, and you've got a, a global audience that fly in as well. Yeah, it has been, I'm trying to think, I think I've been a member of ISTE and you're not the only one. A lot of people will say ITSE. So I, I've heard before, but I've been a member since 2014 and I never had heard about, about it before. But when I got my master's, we had to join. They gave us two organizations as choices to join to learn more about education technology. And so I chose it chose ISTE. I almost said it chose ISTE and started to just you know, gradually become more involved with a couple of the different professional learning networks. And then over the last four years, I've served as uh, one of the one member of the leadership team. And most recently, the past two years, I've been president of Teacher Education Network. But you're right, it is a huge conference that happens every June. Now this year, it has been pushed back to November. But I think the first year that I went, it was in Philadelphia in 2015. And I think the, the number was around 16,000. And each year it has continued to grow. And normally it brings in anywhere from, I think, people from over 70 countries. So it's it's a great experience to be able to be in that space for that four or five days that you can go. So many opportunities, so many people to connect with and to have that time. And uh, my friend, Laura Seinbrake, I, I see this. She said she would love to be my first guest on my podcast. So that's good to know. <laughs> I think I'm going to take her up on that. But yeah, looking forward to like this time of the year too would be planning for it. It is a lot to undertake all of that planning for the conference, but even throughout the year as a teacher education network and all of the, the PLNs really do provide a lot of information for members and educators in terms of Twitter chats and blogs and discussions in the communities and webinars. I mean, always something going on, plus all of the resources they have online and books that they make available. So truly is a great organization to become a part of. If you're looking to make new connections, especially on a global scale, I highly recommend it. 
Yeah, well, we uh, we yeah. keep talking about at some point maybe being uh, maybe coming out and uh, and and seeing Isti, but obviously it's not just the conference, like you say, it's the whole community and the the, the learning and network and all the things that go with that. I think um, we like Steve said, we have bet in the UK and uh, and people rave about bet, but I think there is that is very much an event based. Um, it's an event. That's what it is. Yeah, uh, I was there this year. Oh I, yeah, I came. Yeah, I I was able to come first time I've ever been to London, and um, yeah, I I went to bet, and it was very different. It was a fantastic experience. I was there with Buncey at the Microsoft booth, and I was just amazed about it. I had heard about it for years and had dreamed about going to it, but never really thought that I would be able to. And so having that opportunity to engage with so many people from so many different countries and just to see it's it's a different experience because. You don't have all the sessions. Like that's what I was looking for. I'm like, where are all the sessions? With ISTE, there's you know, hundreds of sessions being offered throughout the day and you have the expo hall. But it bet having full teams of educators come with everybody really wanting to learn about the technology, what the benefits are for students, how to get started. It was a, a really great event. And I hope I get to go back again sometime in the future. Yes, yeah, Steve. Me and Steve were there um, doing uh, doing bits, and uh, Steve was quite quiet most of the time. He didn't do very many uh, very many demonstrations. He didn't. He, he did. He wasn't shattered at the end of the day after working on the Google stand every day. Uh, look, yeah, look, was, I'm joking. You, you, you were, yeah, it was it was mad. I'm, that I'm, way. I'm tired after a podcast. Never mind how busy it is. But yeah, uh, I think what yeah. I noticed in terms of bet this year um, was a shift in terms of. Uh, not a focus on tech, a focus on impact and how it can be used by teachers to enhance learning, uh, to extend learning beyond the classroom. All of the different things that we talk about on the podcast, and I'm sure, uh, Rochelle, that you talk about, not just, oh, this shiny new tool, oh, that's nice, and then think about an idea how to do it. A amount of teachers that came up and saying, okay, but how could this work for my students? What would the impact and what would the benefit of my students be rather than being tech-led? been a student focused and I think that was a big shift in the way that I've seen it develop over the last five years um, which is fantastic but I think we do need to still still have more of those um, people presenting and sharing ideas you know rather than being a, a tech conference more of a focus on PD um, and, and that element that I think is lacking that we, we see at ISTE uh, and I think a shout out to a couple of people I think Stephanie Howell, um, Abid uh, Patel and, and, and Kev Bradshaw, I think they were all, uh, and they're all down to present at Istia, I think. I think they got people's choice. I don't know if you're involved in that at all, yeah. Michelle, but yeah, yeah they're, they're down to, to present and, and Abby's been on the podcast and, and, and good friends of, of ours. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it'd be interesting. Uh, and I know that um, they were gutted that it, uh, that it finished um, or has been pushed back to November, should I say. Got a frog in my throat. Uh, you're getting emotional, Steve. No, I've got a frog in my throat. I, I couldn't get my last word out. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> we, as, as you've probably seen, we, we, we take this podcast really seriously. I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> um, so, um, you also, I think it's worth, this, we, we, I mentioned this in the intro at the beginning. You're also an attorney by, uh, so you quote, what? How how does how does that work? Are you are you still doing that, or is that something in a past life, or how does that work? Did you say that's something in a past life? I meant I meant like before you I were know. teaching. I meant before. No, yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, I didn't. I didn't mean some kind of. I mean, edgy future. I don't know. 
Ben's a big believer in reincarnation. Yeah, exactly. I love when I get asked that, when I'm asked that question, because the, the way it's like, how are you, wait, how did that happen? Yours might have been the best way that that has ever been asked. I'm not going to lie. Just, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I've always loved learning. And at some point I, and people often think that I was an attorney and then quit being an attorney to go into teaching. But I was actually teaching for about seven years, I think, full time before I went to law school. And in Pittsburgh, there's two law schools, one of which you can enroll as an evening student, but it takes uh, four years and four nights a week. So I was teaching. I was literally in school all day, every day, Monday through Friday. So I was teaching full time, but then I was going to school for the four years for the four nights a week. And that's been a really long time because I graduated in 2006. So I can't believe that. So that was that was a past life at this point, 14 years ago and took the bar exam, passed it. But I never got into it to get out of teaching. I don't think I mean, maybe at some point, but. I really, and I've said this so many times too, I don't think that I would still be teaching had it not been for my experience in law school for so many different reasons. I mean, the biggest one was because it put me in the place of a student again. I experienced struggle, I was uncomfortable, and I also got to see a different way of relationships between students and teachers and what really matters. And it forced me to think about what I've been doing in my classroom, especially teaching the way I have been taught. Uh, not allowing for student voice or students to make connections with me or anything like that. And so it really did help to kind of re-engage me in the profession and led me down a different path, which again, I mean, I really don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, I can't predict, but uh, I, I don't, I know based on what I'm doing now, I really attribute it to that experience and what I went through and the connections that I made from that. And then just my own personal growth. I mean, for years, I would say I didn't like speaking out in front of in public, I still say that when I go to conferences, even like is the first, I said, I really don't like speaking in front of public. But the difference is when I'm talking about education and things that I'm passionate about, uh, I'm really excited about that. I love sharing stories. I love sharing what students are doing. I love sharing what other educators are doing and learning. And so that's kind of what fuels me and motivates me. And that I think led me to a different, like down a different path, like I had said. Right, so do you, do you use it at all? As a teacher, it's interesting, right? Uh, how many times, you know, I've had students say, if I get in trouble, will you be my attorney? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that, but it it really does help me to, to think differently, uh, to play both sides, you know, analyze things, but it has it has come in handy because, and this is kind of a funny story. If you have, if you have a minute, I'll tell you. I had a student this one year who, uh, and, and one of the courses I took, you know, you take the, the standard courses, but I was really interested in criminal law and forensic sciences. So I did take a few courses in those areas, specifically forensic sciences. And so I had this one class and I walked around my room and we had, you know, the nice floors and there was this red crayon just smashed in this thick line on the floor. And it was probably a foot and a half or two feet long. And um, I tried to clean it up and, you know, it wasn't coming up. And I said, what happened? And the student said, I dropped the crayon. I looked at it and I said, no, you didn't just drop that crayon. And I said, okay, I, I'm going to tell you what I think happened. And the student looked at me and I said, I think you, you did. I think the crayon rolled and it rolled so far away 
but you didn't feel like getting up and picking it up. So you took your foot and you pushed your foot down on it to drag it back in. And the closer it got, the harder it ground into the ground, leaving the even thicker mark as it got nearer to your desk. Nothing, totally busted. I went, am I right? Just tell me I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it was just funny. And I was I mad? I said, we don't make messes. I mean, you need to clean that up. And so it does come in handy for analyzing things sometimes. But, but in, that, in that moment in your head, were you were you in a courtroom walking around? <laughs> I, I was. I was analyzing all angles. But it was just funny. I mean, I didn't think of it at first, but when I looked at it, it all came back like there's where the law applies. But uh, you know, you, you can't take that learning away. It definitely helped me to think differently. It, it helped me to become more confident. It created more connections for me in terms of friends and um, just building leadership skills. And then, of course, changing my whole trajectory as an educator from my own experience from law school. But, um, you know, I, I, aspire, I keep it up. I, I take the courses every single year. I have used it uh, not in the criminal law sense as which I, what I intended, but have done some other work. But it, it's been a while since I've done any like real legal work aside from that kind of <laughs> investigation, I guess. Yeah, I bet your your previous principals uh, loved it when they would hand you your new contract. Oh, don't get me started on <laughs> contracts. I had my first year one time that the teacher, uh, this is why when students will say, I don't know. And I used to just say, okay, let me, and I try and coach them. But then if they kept saying, I don't know, I would go on to somebody else. Not anymore, because in my contract law course, three hours, my, my professor spent waiting for me to come up with an answer split between two weeks. So I said, I have incredible wait time. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really good. At, I'm, I'm really good at reading contracts. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife's got a law degree as well, and she's 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 the same. She reads things like uh, in the in the to the nth degree, and I'm like, I'll just sign it. And she's like, No, 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 we'll check this. Like we we've just um, just got some new uh, a remortgage on our house because um, it came to the end of its term, and she she checks everything. I'm just like, I'll just sign it. I just trust them. I know that they said this. It's gonna be that much money. I just trust them, and uh, she'll she'll find a little clause, won't she? Maybe 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 it's just about that attention to detail i just don't have maybe i don't know yeah. <laughs> um yeah. I, I wondered if uh, as uh, as we're kind of talking about it i know you've talked about your your role in the classroom and i think it if we can come back to some of that you uh, you teach spanish and also this emerging technology stuff um around some of the stuff around ai vr ai stuff as well and um, what does that what does that look like not necessarily just the AI, VR, AI, which would traditionally thing, but like languages teaching, is there something? Is there anything that crosses across between them that you think because I teach this that way, that helps me teach that? You know, uh, I'm trying to think how long ago it was now. Like three years ago, maybe my Spanish two class had been coming into the library with one of their other classes, and they saw my eighth graders working on some AR, VR, and they kept asking, "What are what are they doing?" And they, "Why can't we do that?" and I said, I don't know. <laughs> I never thought about it. I never thought that as a Spanish teacher that I could use any of those things in my classroom. And I think that's what a lot of other educators might think too, is how can I use this? And even things like coding a lot of the time for me or computational thinking. I just took a course with ISTE last fall and I had to write 
a plan for a lesson for my Spanish classes. And I, it was so hard for me to wrap my head around, what am I going to use computational thinking for in my Spanish class? But finding ways to do that and just taking a risk with it. And so with my Spanish two classes, I used co-spaces at the time to have them create using uh, co-spaces and then narrating the past tense, talking about their childhood. But the neatest thing about it was co-spaces had just created where you could have students working on teams to collaborate, kind of like you can with Google Documents. And so it was towards the end of the year, they had just finished a bunch of spring testing, musical, sports, you name it. And so trying to keep them engaged to the end of the year, that was a really good opportunity to do that. And during that time, they built all of these other skills and they were creating in Spanish, looking for specific objects to add into it. And what I noticed beyond learning the language, which was great, was they were building these collaborations with their, their classmates. And those social emotional learning skills were also another component I had not thought of initially when assigning this project. But even beyond that, you know, one month period of time that we focused on that language the following year, they still remembered having created in that space because it was something completely different and it took time and it was personalized to them and whatever they were creating with their classmates. And so uh, it's nice to be able to kind of connect those things. And even with artificial intelligence, with translators, for example, or even chatbots, I, I, it's something that I'd hope to do this year, but definitely for next year, having my students kind of create a chatbot in Spanish to answer some basic questions or something and just to connect them with some of those emerging trends that are out there. Um, I think it's important to do as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we were speaking to uh, Martin Boom, who, who works at, at the uh, at a college in Madrid, and and that's that's very much how how they think. I think they got their students to create a cryptocurrency, um, so that they were uh, taking part in those new trends and that. Um, trying to, I, I I love it when teachers do that. Try to slip that stuff into the curriculum, because uh, sometimes it just doesn't naturally go, does it? And our curriculum isn't as, isn't as advanced advanced as it should be. Um, so yeah, that, that that's really cool and. Uh, I'm sure our listeners can get some really cool ideas from you, Rochelle, on your thriving EDU podcast. So go listen to that. Um, just before we wrap up, I love you, your uh, office chair. Looks really comfortable. Uh, I, I, I just bought one yesterday. Now I'm like, I wish I wish I'd ordered that one. Yeah, this one. It, it is. It is very nice. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Sorry, that was really random. <laughs> The most random thing. Well, you know, I, I was. You scared me. You scared me at first because normally there's a cat that really comes in, and I was like, "Okay, is there a cat behind me?" Because that's always, yeah, the office chair. It is a very nice office chair. Thank you. It is. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever complimented anyone on their office chair. Uh, I think, yeah, I think we're the last as well. To be fair, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I right. think well, Dan's going to get his office chair and. Uh, in the next bro live broadcast, um, I'm, I'm reckoning that uh, he's going to want compliments on his on his office chair. <laughs> uh, you can't even yeah. see mine. Mine's like hiding behind me. Same with, I'm, I, I think I feel like I need one as well. With, yeah, with, but do you with, have with a guitar? Yeah, I don't play it very well. I just put that in there. That's just for sure to make out like he, just, he, just, he has a guitar case. He doesn't have a guitar. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I do have a guitar back there. I've been trying to learn since uh, December, and I I don't play very well yet either. But I'm working on it. Well, in my spare time. 
Yeah, in your spare time. Well, in your spare time, you got a law degree four nights a week. So I reckon, I reckon you're going to be you're going to be playing at Woodstock or some kind uh, next year. <laughs> Here's hoping. I don't know. Dave Matthews is coming back. His he canceled it for Pittsburgh this year. He's coming back. Maybe next year I could be you know guest on stage with my guitar. <laughs> Rochelle, it's been great to have you on. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You're in the States, so you've, you've still got yes. a few hours left of the day. Uh, it's the evening here, so uh, enjoy, and thanks for joining us. Take care. Yeah, thank you. It's been great talking to y'all. Thank you. I think I just said y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in, in Pittsburgh, we say yins. You say what? We say yins. 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 Y-I-N-Z, yeah, yins. We say Y-I where I'm from, but it, it means something different. <laughs> oh, you, yeah. you, say, you say weird things where you, you say can it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So what does, what does yins, is that just it, goodbye then? Is that, uh... No, it's, it's, uh, it's you, all of you, or in the South, they'll say y'all. But in Pittsburgh, it's a Pittsburgh term that people would just say yins. Although my students, when I've said it, will say, where are you from? And I'll say I'm from Pittsburgh. But yeah, <laughs> a Pittsburgh term. Nice. Cool. Nice. Well, the podcast's over now. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I'm sure it ended on a, a 